when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It is Monday, August 20th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 180. I'm your host, back in the saddle, Austin Walker. Joining me today, going around this table, Rob Zachney. At Rob Zachney. That's okay. Patrick. <laughs> it's, it's episode 180, baby. We're flipping it. We're Do flipping the 180. It. Oh, Peace. I see. 180. Peace. Be good and be good at it. Got it. Patrick Klepek. What if we don't want to be good and be good at it? Can we uh, just flip it all around? You're on the wrong podcast, sir. Boom. That's right, Patrick. <laughs> this, is a, this is a podcast for good people only. And I've seen well, some YouTube videos that have said that you are not a good person. So... Uh, that, oh, that one stung a little tough. <laughs> Ouch. Telling it like it is over here. Uh, I love you, Patrick. Truth is Daniel, truth. Truth is, truth, is tr- truth is not truth, says Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> also joining oh. us, uh, Danielle Riendo. At Danielle R.I. That's, we're not doing the outros. <laughs> Shout out to Bowen for letting us use the track. Miss you. Off the EP payoff machine. Find out more about that. Discourse.zone. That's not it. It's not even Discourse.zone. So, yeah, zone. this weekend, so I am... Um, I finished The Americans, no, uh, which is just an incredible, yes. like, no. just an incredible series finale. I, I can do this. I can do this. Danielle, tell me you punched people. Tell me about yeah. punching people. Well, huh. I actually didn't punch people, but I okay. choked them. I choked them. I did some choking. Yeah. I played a real life fighting and people game. People say I'm this the weekend. problem. I'm <laughs> a good person. <laughs> You choked them in in a ring in a yeah. consensual fight situation. In a consensual, uh, regulated <laughs> environment. Yeah. <laughs> consensual fight situation. Snake, how's your CFS? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I played a real-life fighting game this weekend. I competed for the first time uh, in a grappling tournament. How are you? is basically like wrestling it all starts with wrestling or judo right and then is sort of ground fighting so there's no punching but there's a lot of choking and uh getting into sort of like situations where our bone is about to break and that's right when like you have to tap <laughs> arm holds and such triangles yeah like arm bars leg locks things like that uh, a lot of chokes. i didn't win much but i did get one good win uh, and it was by triangle choke. So that is when you wrap your legs around somebody's neck and choke them with their own arm. Hell yeah. So, awesome. Mm. That what was that like? Awesome. So this is the yeah. first time you've done, not the first time you've done uh, a, a, a um, like a fighting sport competition, is it? Or is it, is it the first, first competition? First like, official one. Oh, wow. Uh, awesome. When I was boxing, I kind of did a lot of unofficial. <laughs> like, I, I, sure. I had a coach who took me around to like basically spar at little fight nights at gotcha, gyms gotcha, around gotcha. the city. Yeah. Uh, so they were kind of unofficial 
uh, competitions. Like, it was definitely a little bit of a heated competition because it was me against, like, new people and, like, oh, this club versus my club kind of thing. Uh, but this is, like, the first really official, like, I have a record now. I have a fight record now. Wow. And all this other stuff. It's not a good record. <laughs> but, I, I want to be clear. But, you had you – know. you didn't, like – in my mind, in my mind, Danielle, you <laughs> yeah. always do the most in a best possible way. <laughs> in my mind, and maybe I'm also just wrong about this, but when yeah. you, when I think about uh, uh, grappling, when I think about boxing, when I think about MMA, yeah. I think about fight night or fight day as being a big day where you show up and you have a fight. Yep. And, and what you had was eight fights. I had eight fights. That's correct. Is that normal for the grappling world? <laughs> Only if you do a round robin tournament, which okay. means you're in a gotcha. pool. You're in a bracket with. Yes. I actually had nine women in my division, which was great. Um, being fairly small, uh, but <laughs> not tiny, tiny, and then also uh, being a beginner. I'm still a beginner in gotcha. grappling, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, open pool. Uh, so we had nine women in the division, uh, and which I means- competed at 135, which is like actually a little <sighs> bigger than me. So I was definitely Ooh. like the smallest girl there. I weighed okay. in like under 129. So it was like, all right, I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna be the small one here. But I matched up pretty well strength wise, so I was fine with it. Um, and yeah, like it, I competed in both gi and no gi, which is the little karate outfit that everybody thinks of from like Karate Kid, basically, right. uh, which is a slower. A form of the sport because you there's actually a lot of friction believe it or not there's oh, like sure. wearing the gi actually introduces a lot of friction which means it's harder really to throw cool you to the chokes. ground i'm guessing or there's a lot it... of judo for for okay. that part there's typically sort of like you start with judo for the gi and you start with uh wrestling straight up wrestling like what okay. you would think of as wrestling uh for the no gi division because you're just cool. grabbing you're just getting grips you're getting grips on the neck or the arms or things like that uh, but there's a lot of really cool chokes that you can do only in the gi. You actually choke people with their jacket, which is really cool. Jeez. Yeah, it's awesome. That's a good uh, talent to have. Because you here's, know, it, it because is. <laughs> real people have jackets all the time. And they do. You just know, if you know, you can just choke someone with their jacket. You get in there deep. You get one there. side, you get the other side, you just pull down. Damn. Oh, it's beautiful. You bring a little piano wire to that fight. And <laughs> oh, yeah, now you're, you're winning that one. I told you we're not <laughs> talking about the Americans. Um, <laughs> there was Hitman 2 news not today. Yet. That's fine. Was that Hitman 2 peg? news today? What was yeah, they're, 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 re, they're uh, updating all the Hitman 1 levels for Hitman 2. Oh, nice. That's awesome. So, That's good. Like, it's a lot of choking. Everyone so should play Hitman 1. Hitman 2? I yeah. think so, yeah. So, like, you would use the mechanics of Hitman 2 in Hitman 1 stages. I think that's pretty rad. That is what it looks like. Yeah. Owners of the previous game will get updated versions of six Hitman maps. That's really cool. Awesome. So I am curious, uh, like Danielle, you know, what's your big takeaway? Like, what's the thing that like, oh, to really improve that record? Like you're sitting there like, if I really nail this, I'm going to choke some motherfuckers out. Oh, like what? Other than the one I already got. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll be clear. I got got that what, one good big, choke. Like, what's your big like? <laughs> this is the tactic I need to I need to master. I need to nail if I'm gonna you know if I'm gonna get that record up. Yeah. So a lot of it was um, because it was my first one. Everybody told me you're gonna lose a lot because you're just not used to this pace. Even if you train every day, and I train a lot, uh, the pace is just so different. It's uh, somebody told me it was like it's going to feel like you've been jogging and now you're sprinting. And that really is very accurate. Uh, my first fight actually went all the way to five minutes. I lost on points. Um, I had some points, but I lost on points on that one. And I just like ran off the mat and I was like, gotta throw up. I didn't, but it was, it was rough. Uh, there's like a massive adrenaline dump. That's also a part of sort of like your first competition. I was very lucky that I had awesome people getting me ready for this who have done a lot of competitions. And they were like, 
okay, you're going to feel like shit after your first one. It doesn't matter what you do to prepare, right. like just know that. And I, I was fine after that. So that was good. Uh, so a lot of it was getting out nerves just for the first competition and uh, just not panicking, like working on not panicking, which I was proud of. I did not panic at any point. There were no panic taps, which was good. Uh, I only tapped if like somebody really had me in a choke and I was about to go out or I was in an arm bar. There was one arm bar I tapped to. Uh, but the main thing is I think I'm a, a decent defensive fighter, but I Ooh. need way better offense. <laughs> like I, I definitely, other than that one uh, good choke that I had on the, on uh it was my third fight, actually, that I won. Other than that, I, like, very much was, like, I'm okay at getting out of bad positions, but I need to really work on getting into the good ones. Basically. Right, right. Uh, so, how <laughs> Like, how parsable is this? Because I remember, like, th- yeah. this this stuff bedevils me in, like, video games, like, fighting games, but it also, sure. like, gave me fits as, like... bedeviled by choking. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just, you know, how? <laughs> it's actually, it's actually the speed. Uh, and yeah. like this ha- yeah. would have like when I fenced, I would have this issue too, where it would be like, uh, it would be hard for me sometimes, especially at competition speed, yeah. to like actually work out what exactly just happened. Like I saw the start of the move and I started my counter, but then there's a whole like interchange of moves, and that's the part where I'm like, I'd be trying to play it back in my head, and I'm like, I'm what sure that happened? like yeah, exactly, because like yeah. if I don't know what just happened, exchanges. you can as someone who fenced for a year. You can win those exchanges. Well, I'm learning so much and- right now. Like, <laughs> fenced, Austin fenced. Are there? Is there oh, proof? Show me. Show There's me the proof. A photo Let me see the receipts. The I don't know. Um, but you will have an exchange, and you can win an exchange, and not and have to think really hard about the maneuvers you performed because you. It's just some sort of auto. At least that was my experience fencing. Yeah. And even when I was younger and did do some combat sports, but well, I guess it's, it's guttural, right? Like it's you're, you're responding through like learned technique in the moment, yes. as opposed to like intellectually thinking through. I should do X, Y, and Z because you, there's not enough time to actually. Is that, that how? Out. Is that how wrestling, wrestling and has judo a very are? staccato pace? Yeah, gotcha. it can absolutely be slow and grindy and look like just violent, like hugging slash humping, <laughs> and it looks really stupid sometimes. Like it can look like that, and it can also look like a fury of limbs flailing and flying around. It can look pretty ridiculous. Uh, But the main thing is, and again, I'm still a beginner. Like this is not coming from the the Zen master of grappling or anything. But the main thing is it's all about advancing positions. And it is actually a very, very strategic game. Uh, So the game being, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is considered a sport. So like you're called Mm -hmm. a BJJ player if you do it. So it is kind of like a game, right? Um, So yeah, you always are thinking about advancing your position having good defensive positions and then getting into good offensive positions. And the scoring works that way too. Like you actually get points for a takedown. You get points for a good position, right? Like you get points for Mount, which is exactly what it sounds like. You get points for taking an opponent's back, which is also exactly what it sounds like. And then a few other things that probably sound a little weirder, but like (laughs) the very basics are getting a good position and advancing that position. Uh, So once you kind of know what the basic positions are, it's very parsable. You're like, oh, clearly this person just got that person's back or clearly this person is in a in a chokehold. And like those are very parsable. Right. And the wrestling part, I think, is very exciting to watch, even if you don't uh, participate in this sport, because that one's pretty obvious, too. It's pretty obvious who's winning in a wrestling match. Right. It's who has the better position and who does the takedown. Chris Jericho. Is the one. Yes. He there, does a thousand go. different versions of an armbar. So don't even. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's actually really exciting to. There, 
see that stuff. <laughs> my favorite stupid wrestling bit ever, my yes. favorite promo ever is uh, of professional wrestling, which is to say, you know, staged, f- fantastic stunt performance wrestling. Sure. Uh, yeah. Is Chris Jericho coming out onto a into the ring and saying that he is the master of one thousand and five holds, and then and then Good and then it's yeah. incredible. And then he takes out this huge scroll and he starts listing them. Good. And he goes arm bar, Japanese arm bar, <laughs> inverted arm bar, and then it cuts to commercial and it comes back and he's like vertical suplex. Backwards arm bar, and I don't know how they timed the commercial break, but it was fantastic. That's anyway, a really good bit. Uh, yeah. I will not bore people with more wrestling talk because there was SummerSlam this weekend, and I just don't have things important things to say about it. But Danielle, That's it sounds fine. like I'm glad that you finally get the chance to to really actually compete instead of yeah. uh, which isn't like not to say the training isn't good and awesome but i'm i'm it feels like this has been a momentous and a momentous occasion and a long one coming so yeah. it's very exciting I'm, I'm hyped to see you do more in the future oh yeah hoping to go again in november so we'll see you didn't kill yeah. anybody as far as i know no nobody right? died okay nobody got sent to a hospital and like you know that's the other thing about being an emt and a grappler true like, just in case you know, I know both sides of this equation. Just I if can you, hurt people you, and I can help them. So. Right. My question is, could you do what Patrick did this weekend, which is live in a world of the undead and deal with oh. those? Do, is, actually, I feel like grappling might make you... No, you have to get too close. You have to get too close to a zombie. Get bit. Yeah, it's a you terrible technique to, to it's bring the worst a zombie fight. It's yeah. the only time that Taekwondo is maybe the right one because you're staying far yeah. away. You're wearing boots. You're, you're kicking, kicking faces You're from kicking far faces away. all yeah. the way off and you're staying yeah. far... Your body is staying far away. Anyway... Patrick, talk to me about The Walking Dead season four. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, there's, there's. Uh, okay, I guess time one, out. Yeah, the first season of The Walking Dead, then there was is the, the one that people season. played. Is the one that a lot of people played. Yeah, the first season is what probably the majority of people played, and then I think a lot of people fell off after that. Um, and then there's the second season. There was uh, a third season called The New Frontier. There was a spinoff. I don't remember the character's name. McCone. McCone. She's the lady with the sword. I've never known oh, how to McCone? pronounce it. McCone. I don't know how to pronounce M-I-C-H-O-N-N-E. her name. M I C H O N N E. I always thought Michonne. I always thought Michonne also, but so, that's. But yeah. there was like a three or four episode spinoff uh, with her. Um, I didn't play that, but I, I adored the first season of, of The Walking Dead. I thought it was really uh, powerful and emotionally resonant and uh, did like a really. We talked about this recently. I can't remember in, in what podcast, but like it managed to convince you. It was able to convey that you were having a, uh, an impact on the story, even though most players are being funneled to a similar conclusion and accomplishes right. that by giving you uh customization over like like uh, like shades of character as opposed to plot points ultimately and and that gives the developers a lot more lateral that allows them to still like sort of like funnel people into a, a sort of a similar direction and i thought it was right. really successful at that um it also just told like a really like a the, the relationship between lee and clementine was like one of my favorites in in video games um and so i was all on board with like the future seasons, even though like Lee is no longer in the equation at the end of season one. Um, but uh, like probably not coincidentally, uh, you know, Sean Vanneman, Sean Vanneman and Jake Rockin left after the success of Walking Dead to go, you know, do their, their own thing, you know, work on games like Firewatch, um, which is great. But uh, the creative team uh, left that worked on those games going forward, uh, they didn't nearly find the same sort of strong footing. They might have been better served by just starting with new characters, possibly, as opposed right. to trying to continue where... Things had left off, especially given how strong um, the first season had been. But sort of regardless, like the second season, uh, the 
was not particularly good, and I think it lost a lot of people. Like, I struggled my way through it with my wife. Um, like, we'll continue to play this series. I mentioned before how the Telltale games are, like, one of the only ones that me and my wife sit down and play together because she can, like, sort of actively make the choices. When they added the phone app or the website that you can log into where they can... So, like, I can I handle the controller, and then she is on there picking the dialogue choices and, you know, who lives and who dies and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a way for both of us to sort of participate in a way that normally just doesn't happen. We usually watch TV and movies together, she goes to bed, and then I play video games. It's usually the, the dynamic. Um, and so she wasn't super excited to play the third season, New Frontier, but uh, we got into it, and, and they kind of found their footing, and uh, they announced earlier this year that this season was going to be... Well, they hedged. They said this is the final season for, like, a Clementine story. I sure. think they're reserving the right to go back and tell more Walking Dead stories because it's been very popular for them. But this is sort of supposed to conclude the arc uh, for, for Clementine and her sort of, like, place in the universe. And my expectations were extremely low, but sort of quietly, like, Telltale's been doing some really good work, and I don't think people are paying attention to it very much. I have not... The first season of their Batman series was 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 solid, and I've heard the second season, which is, like, very Joker-centric, was extremely strong, like, a lot of good character work with the, the Joker character specifically. Um, so they seem to be kind of finding their footing after, like, sort of a tumultuous couple of years as they kind of, like, made a bunch of different series and then, you know, like, they made a Game of Thrones series, like, which probably no one remembers, mm. but I it wasn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it wasn't very good, and you would have think they would have made another one of those, but they didn't. Um, so anyway, like, this this one, uh, for one, I, I believe this is probably going to, I don't know if they've said, but they've kind of, like, hinted this would be, like, the last one on, like, Telltale's existing engine. Um, I've written in the past critically about how the technical makeup of their games really end up uh, hindering like the the strongest part of their game or the pitch of their games, which is the narrative and character work, um, due to those problems with the engine they've been using for a long time, and it seems like their response to like okay, well we can't build this on the new engine is to like really dress up the art in a way that masks what they can't do on a technical level, um, and this one looks more like like ripping the art from um, Robert Kirkman's books like more so than any of the ones in the past. Like it really like there are times where it really feels like you're just looking at and walking through comic book panels in a way that is is really really striking. Um, and rather going for any sort of like realism, it is going for uh, not quite abstract, but like somewhere in between that sort of sells the surrealness of the situation in a way that uh, they didn't pull off nearly as much in the past. And like they ground the characters <laughs> really well. I know in the past people have sort of uh, I never got into like. There are previous seasons of the game, two and three specifically, where, uh, like, if you read some, like, critical theory on the game that, like, it leans too heavily into, and this is zombie tropes, zombie fiction in, in general, leans too far into, like, libertarian politics of, like, oh, only the strong would survive, uh-huh. the weak would be left behind, and that, like, that's the only way humanity would find its way forward, which is, like, a, a nihilistic way of looking, I mean, it'd be hard, but, like, there are other ways of conceiving how society might rebuild itself than just, like, yeah. strong right. people that can kill other people will be the ones that survive. Um and the second and third season of that, like, really, especially the second season, like, really sort of, like, fetishized that to a degree that turned people off. I've always been into the series for the characters. Like, I've, you know, that that has always been sort of sort of my focus, and I've been pretty, like, tunnel-visioned on that. And I, the fourth season, uh, at least this first episode, has really, really strong character work on the part of Clementine and this child. She's now taking care of this little boy uh, named AJ, and uh, it's, I, I feel like it, it, it recenters what made this series interesting in the first place, which is good character work and, and, and drama and melodrama in an extraordinary situation. It's less about 
seeing people die and fetishizing death and and, and murder in <laughs> this horrible scenario and more about like that stuff exists along the margins in order to create interesting scenarios for characters for that characters. are pushed into uncomfortable positions. Is it, I, I think is it pulls it, it off really well. A similar situation, you know, like I guess like the assumption had always kind of been, oh yeah, we'll one day get the game where where uh, Clementine becomes the Lee character who is holding a community together and raising a child and, uh, you know, through circumstances. But I'm curious how much of the basic setup, I mean, one of the things that's so interesting about The Walking Dead is that like, okay, well, time can pass, but the world isn't going to get better. There isn't a right. cure. We're not going back to live in, you know, Atlanta. Um, and... Uh, so, but I'm curious how two things. One, how time is felt. Like, not only does Clementine feel like you know an adult at this point, but also just does the world feel like changed by the fact that I'm guessing this kid AJ probably doesn't remember what the world was before all of this happened. That's yeah, that's a lot of the early character okay. work. Is is uh, her struggle? So, in previous entries, basically all the adults and even like teenage kids, they were there before the right. fall. And and AJ is one of these, like, very few people who have, you know, there aren't a lot of kids being born into the world. But all he knows is monsters and death right. and, and and terribleness and, like, having to survive. And I can't remember. There was some, some exchange where, like, he she has to explain something, like, very innocuous that you – why would you have to explain that? It's like, oh, well, if you have no – oh, it was, uh, like, policemen and firemen, like, people who existed on, right. like, uh, like, the idea of a virtuous notion of, like, your employment was – to protect them now, okay, like you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Co- you know, like complicated, you know, in the world of actual you know. civil ser- services, though, and like, yeah, yeah, like, like uh, yeah, of... take take it taken as uh, yeah, in, in its purest form, like people who are there to like help you and not in a way to take advantage of you. And there was some poster that was like, sign up for this, and she was he could not understand the idea that there weren't people who, uh, you know, had ulterior motives. That would, you know, stab you in the back at every other turn. Um, and so those moments, like, using... It they just AJ as woke. A, <laughs> <laughs> they use AJ as a way to try and, like, try and ground you back in, in that. as like, the idea that someone doesn't remember what things were like. It, it makes for some some interesting sort of exchanges between the two. And, yes, you have Clementine where they're finally... They, there's a meaningful enough passage of time where both... It, when AJ was in the story in the past, he was too young to actually be a character. He was just, like, a... He was just a plot device. He was just a Deus gotcha. Ex Like, he was just there to, like, oh, AJ, the baby, is in danger. Um, but now AJ is, uh, let's say he's, like, I don't know how, let's say seven. Like, old enough old to enough. have autonomy, yeah. to have yeah. opinions, um, to uh, to have a gun. Like, you know, to, okay, to, to understand. Wait. Yeah. He's old yeah. enough for a gun. One of, one, of the, one of the, you know, I don't want to get too much into the, the story points, but, like, one of the points is that Clementine trusts uh, uh, AJ to fire a weapon. And, like, when she meets other people... There's like profound disagreement over like her, her essential I, parental I choice right. to to do that, and that introduces some interesting sort of like political and relationship dynamics. Um, and that's what like the the huge thing I'd say the, the pitch about season four is that now Clementine is old enough to have a lot of autonomy. She is able to start making like romantic choices in the game to some degree. I don't know how far down that path they'll go, but they are acknowledging that like she is old enough to have interest in other people um and and aj is not just a child to be a plot device he is going to make choices on his own and in the past where uh you're essentially as the parental figure making choices for aj some of the most interesting work that happens in this uh episode including like a truly shocking like final moment that like actually made my wife and i like throw our hands up (laughs) in disbelief um like involves characters like aj making choices 
outside of what the player has decided like should happen. And that's, I think what makes choice-based games truly fun is when they do turn the tables on you and take choice away from you, um, as opposed to implying that, well, if the player is driving it, they have to drive everything. Right. Um, right. And so when they subvert that expectation and have things occur that are completely outside the purview of the player and, and what they were pushing for, um, it makes for really interesting work. I, I think it's, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be as good as season one, but I will say if you were interested, you can completely skip season two and three. Cool. Um, and jump they right have in. a story builder that lets you sort of like pick out a couple of key okay. moments. Um, if, if you want to do that, but I, and maybe that'll, if they're letting you do that, there must be some sort of sort of emotional payoff for that in the fourth season. Um, but if you only played the first one, just jump into the fourth one. You'll be just fine. There's nothing meaningful that happened in, in seasons two and three that won't allow you to, they, they sort of like seclude off what the premise is and like, you know, where things seem okay and are inevitably going to go awry um, in season four. And I, if you were interested in season one, I would highly recommend checking out uh, season four. The first cool. episode at least is really, really strong work. And actually, like, I think it's a lot of the same creative team that has worked on like Batman and especially that oh, second season. Mm. There's a lot of crossover between that and uh, the people who are working on this final season of Walking Dead. Like, it makes me really excited for like if they get on Unity or whatever, like whatever engine they settle on, like that Telltale could actually be like a really interesting company to get more to where we thought they were going post Walking Dead season one, but you know, ended up going in some directions that I think uh, did not pan out particularly well for for the company. First episode's out now. Yeah, it's out now. I also think it's on Switch. So, oh, oh cool. There nice. you go. Welcome to welcome to Switch, zombies. <laughs> you weren't there before. Finally, zombie zo- finally, Switch. zombies on the Switch. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, I have a, I have a, I have, we can, I fell down a tactics hole, and I think we have some talks to have. Let's take a quick break. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Rob Zachney. Austin Walker. It's the height of the Cold War. There's the KGB and other American forces. The Americans. Uh, Spies, conspiracies, interpersonal relationships. What am I talking about? Uh, I think you're talking about the Americans, season four. God damn it! Yeah! Uh, No, I, I believe you are talking about Phantom Doctrine. Uh, a game that's, that a friend optimistically tried to sell me on as it's the Americans meets XCOM. Who did which, that to you? I look. I'm not putting uh, you know any friends from PC Gamer on blast like this. Um, <laughs> like certainly oh. nobody who's like recently gotten a promotion or anything like that. Uh, just you know fill in the blank. Really, could be any any of those uh, folks over there. Uh, but yeah, it, there are Americans like aesthetics involved because it does share time periods like cold war uh but it is neither the americans nor really is it XCOM. uh it's doing its own thing 
It is. It is. It was one of many uh, tactics games that I played over my break last week. Um, and and it's the one that I had the most guarded hopes for. And in that way, maybe was the the one that I was actually most accurate about my feelings with. Um, it is a tactics game. And it is on first blush. I get the... <clears throat> excuse me. On first blush, I get the XCOM comparison. Um, because you're moving units around the world uh both in a strategic layer map and in a tactical map you are upgrading units and they're getting experience points and you're researching new equipment and you are countering enemy um, um, uh, missions by putting uh, resources on the board um and then you're going into tactical combat that is like third person or not third person like a 3d isometric perspective um, more like XCOM than, let's say, Banner Saga or something. But it's such a different game, Rob. Yeah. And I'm not sure... Like, at first, I was just thinking some of my negative feelings are probably just because it is a different game. It has superficial yeah. similarities to other stuff. And that's what's throwing me. And I'm not really, like, playing the thing that's actually in front of me. And then I started to understand the thing that was in front of me. And once I really started to understand, like, how it all worked, that's when I really started to realize how little I liked it. Mm. Oh. Um, I don't know. So, it's, so like, what did you notice? So the first thing, the, like, the first thing I noticed is, um, okay, so, so the thing that's really cool and the thing that's initially very appealing is that basically each mission, uh, ha like, begins in stealth. And you might even have an agent undercover uh, mm -hmm. who can go around into, like, secure areas uh, of the level and, like, disable security cameras, uh, you know, steal uh, classified documents, stuff like that. Maybe knock out a few guards before raising the alarm. Uh, but then eventually, like, you will sound the alert uh, and you'll enter more of a traditional, like, squad combat uh, mm -hmm. layer of the game. And... The squad combat stuff threw me at first because I just couldn't parse, like, it, it behaves so differently than XCOM. Like, this is a game where every shot has a 100% two-hit chance. Like, right. all you can right. do is mitigate how much damage, like, the amount of damage you take is very flexible. Like, if you're Incredibly, in cover... To some degree, it even surprises me how much I get hit for because I've done the math wrong in my head, which is already not what I want from a game like this. Um, I, I, you know, I love Invisible Ink. Invisible Ink has a 100% to hit rate. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, that game, I'm never surprised that when I get shot, my characters die, because that's what bullets do in that game. Um, if you shoot somebody and you don't have armor on, or if it, it has enough armor piercing, it kills you. In Phantom Doctrine, there's this whole awareness system that layers on top of, like you just said, Rob, a cover system in which... Your, if your character has high awareness, it almost works like a shield for them. Um, it's like, oh, they're dodging. Not like, you know, they have to have enough of a, they have enough wisdom to like duck behind the door frame or whatever and only get, they only get, you know, uh, uh, winged by the bullet a little bit. They only get, there's a glancing shot or something. Um, but sometimes I just get like knocked the fuck out by a, a gunshot from across the level, like a wild trick shot that I would never imagine a regular low level grunt should be able to make because you're always hitting. Yeah, it's like, and, and that's a problem that like clearly the developers, um, 
are like aware of like Austin you and I were going we're sort of pouring over this uh, <laughs> blog they put up about like so about the wall hacks that people are saying the AI is using uh, in, in this game and they explain their their line of sight rules and it makes sense once you see it I think there are a few diagrams that like blow my fucking mind uh, when, when I see them basically one of the reasons this game becomes very hard to parse is that uh, every character is assumed to have the ability to sidestep to one of the four squares that like are adjacent to them um, which makes sense in in an offense for the shooter. situation, right? Yes. So, like, imagine you're the shooter and you're up against a, a a window. You're like next to the window, like Malcolm X in that famous shot. Malcolm X could slot could slide over and shoot a Clansman and square in the forehead. Absolutely, that should only take one action. That shouldn't. Yeah. He shouldn't need to spend a movement action to do that. Agreed. But for the sake of that interaction, every guy, every Clansman down there. Also has line of sight on Malcolm, no matter how much he corners up by that window and, like, hugs that wall. For the purposes of the game, because he can sidestep out to take the shot, it's also assumed that he will somehow be sidestepped out and exposed for anybody else shooting at him. Shooting in the window at him. He's assumed to also be in front of the window instead of to the side of it. Despite the fact that's very much not where you put him. (laughs) Right. And this is a rule that exists in other games. Like, I'm pretty sure XCOM and XCOM 2 actually work by this rule also, except that they mostly take place outdoors or in kind of small, like the occasional small interior. Um, and the the way that the line of sight is drawn and the way that the, the shot is drawn always just makes it look like caught you checking, caught you like looking around the corner and then you got hit. Here it often just animates as a bullet going through two walls and hitting your dude who's ducking oh. in a corner. It's and it absurd. Just, like, it, it feels and, and it feels absurd because it's a hundred percent hit. They never miss they never will miss that shot, right? Whereas at least in XCOM, be, being in full cover means there's a good chance you won't get hit at all. And so there isn't this overwhelming feeling like I can't believe this AI is continuing to hit me. Um which is a shame because I think there's a lot of other stuff in Phantom Doctrine that that is stylish at least. Um, I do really like, you know, I definitely had a mission once where my job was to exfiltrate a, a an enemy agent, and I just had someone undercover who spawned in the same room as them. And so that whole mission was like, knock them out, throw them out the window, <laughs> get in the van and go. Like, yeah, that's some that's some fucking KGB shit. And it's straight and extricate. Exactly. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and there's some really great strategy layer stuff that is really not really great. There's some really stylish. There's some really memorable strategy layer stuff. Where you're getting when you complete missions and when you get intel from your from your like invisible like intel operatives who show up on the board sometimes and a bar increases and then it tells you you got more intel. You can go to a cork board and like you're putting out all your information. You're putting out, oh this is a photo of an agent. This is a photo of a of an agent. This is a photo of a plane. There's a oh these are bomb documents and you're looking through redacted you got the photo files. of Avon there and the photo of string right string, there. You yeah, connect exactly. them with string <laughs> exactly. And you connect them with string and you try to make the whole thing and that feels okay. But also I'm like seven hours into this game. I don't know what's happening. This game does no job of telling like XCOM is really clear. There are aliens. Either they're invading or they've already invaded. And your job regardless is to get them out of here. Hey, they don't be here. This is Earth. And <laughs> this isn't your alien place. Um uh and that that is your your motivation. But even beyond that, XCOM gives you goals in the long, medium, and short term. 
Short term, it's I want to win this mission. Medium term, it's I need to not only win the mission, but I need to use the arc thrower to capture an enemy, or I need to get up, get to a point where I can go after the black site and get the weird green goo at the end of that, or whatever the fuck we did at the end of that thing, or I need to capture this enemy type, or I need to develop this specific technology. And then long term, like I need to develop a really deep bench of characters. I need to develop characters who have lots of abilities, who can eventually win the big fights when they happen. Um, and... This doesn't give that to me in any way. Like, there's a short-term goal of, like, okay, get into this mission, do this mission. Um, but mostly there's, like... I used to rob, you, you, you said to me that the first time you played this, it was like... You thought the strategic map... You felt like the strategic map's job was mostly to put off doing other missions. And that I was like, oh, that can't be right. And then I played more of it. I was like, oh no, that's right. If I'm winning, if I'm doing right on the strategic map, I'm actually interrupting enemy operations before I ever need to pull a gun out. Which is like thematically right, right? Because the whole idea is you get a, you get a, uh, you know, your map blinks at you and it's like, oh, there's an, there's a, there's an operative in in Beirut. Like I, we should, I should send two people there immediately, and they can disrupt. That that enemy agent's operation, which is to take down a you know a, a comms officer of mine or whatever, and you send them there and you hit a button and then like a bar loads and then if your bar beats their bar, their operation is broken and you don't have a fight, you don't have that mission, um, and that's like basically what I do in that game. It's like forty minutes of that, and then I get into a mission, and that mission either lasts five minutes or thirty, and then I do it again. So the runway is really really long for this game. There is a point where they they increase the tempo dramatically. And you have a much harder time staying ahead of things. And that's when you realize, oh, no, the missions are bad. Right. Uh, A lot of the the missions they generate procedurally that are not the main story missions, uh, like, they all follow the exact same script. They all feel, like, the exact same. Like, the level layout changes. But, like, nothing else does. Right. Um, Yeah, and so it just ends up being, like, once the shooting starts, even before that, it just never feels like you're up against any kind of intelligence. There's no intelligence behind like the defenses against your stealthy agents, and there's no intelligence right. to the soldiers you're fighting once they detect you. They don't fight as squads. They just move to best near position and yeah. like post up there. But like you're not going to have these guys like, you know, open fire from here and this other group saves their action and just try to flank around. They're never going to do that. So you just kind of clean up again and again and again. And uh, yeah, it's just like the more I played it, the less there was. Uh, can, I, is... can I tell you about a game that does make you feel like there's some intelligence at work? Hell yeah. Tell me all about Into it. Into the Breach. Into the Breach is a great video game where not only is there intelligence at work, you can see it ahead of time and you can predict it and then you send your yes. mech. No, in this ta- in this case, <laughs> I, actually, I can shout out a quick little mech tactics game. So I fell into a bad mech, um, mech tactics hole. This I also found into, fell into a bad mech this weekend uh, or this past <laughs> week. I fell into a tactics hole and I played a bunch of tactics games. I played through the Valkyria Chronicles 4 demo on Switch. I almost started the new Valkyria Chronicles 1 game. Um, I've been playing a lot of Shadowrun Dragonfall, which is... uh Uh-huh. New Valkyria Chronicles 1 game? Four. Valkyria... Oh, I almost started the new Valkyria Chronicles 1 game, but I didn't. But there's a new one? No, no, no. It, I mean, starting a new I game. I almost started the new crowd. game. I almost started because they put out one on Switch, right? Because they four, one is not out on Switch. I'm very oh. upset about this. That's that's kind of what I was asking. Is like, so did no, that, so did that out, like buy it off the, the Japanese eShop? Did that work? 
No, that I didn't dig into it, okay. uh, and I'm not gonna because they're because I have it on PC, I have it on PS3, and I have it on yeah. PS4. I don't need to buy that game a fourth time. Uh, I love that game, but I don't need to buy it a fourth time if I'm just gonna play it in my bedroom, which I could play on any of those other platforms. Um, in instead, I did play the Valkyria Chronicles 4 demo uh, on Switch, which is super interesting. Uh, I, I like that game. It's it's a it's a real Valkyria Chronicles game. It feels like that. There are some cool new units that I hadn't seen in, in Valkyria Chronicles 1. I don't want to get too deep into that. I will say that I'm shocked that no one has mentioned that in that demo there is a, a trans character, uh, oh. which is which the the Sega localization team feels like they're doing their best to I don't mm, it's a it's a mixed bag because here's the the pitch that I could give you on this character her her name is Rosette uh Rosetta Rosetta Valer, Valeriano uh is that she is a fucking Nazi killing trans woman um her whole the whole bit for her is like she loves to kill she her whole thing she loves to kill no she fights to end war she has like the idealistic trait um which means she does like extra damage to the imperial soldiers um she's passed but she doesn't pass a fistic which means she occasionally like gets less action points or something when she pulls the trigger like she like doesn't like to have to fight but she's willing to kill the imperials and her whole goal her idealism is about combating the like anti-darkson discrimination the darkson are the kind of Jewish analog in the Valkyria Chronicles version of the, the of World War II. Um, it's like anti-racist trans woman Nazi killer is a fucking great pitch. Hell yeah. um, her default like biography is uh, Edinburgh Army, Army Squad E Scout, age 28, presents as feminine, birth name is Rosano, fights to end the war and combat anti-Darkson discrimination. And like having, like, you know, some, some trans folks don't mind having their, their dead names referenced. It's, but also just like presents as feminine birth name is Rosano is like a really quick and dirty way of saying this about this character. Um, in the Japanese, it's even a little harsher from the fan translation I saw is like takes on the appearance of a beautiful woman, though in reality, she's a man. Oh, and boy. that's like, oh, but then, it, but then it's like, her name is Rosette, fights in hope to abolish discrimination against the Darksons. And like, that's not, it feels like someone thinks they're doing a really good job. And it feels like the localization team certainly pushed that in a better direction than she is really a man, um, which is bad. Um, but I'm shocked that no one had, had found this, seen this character in the, in the game before. I don't know if it's randomly rolling you characters from the pool of many, many characters. Valkyria Chronicles 1 did a thing where it's like, hey, there are like 70 characters you could have in your team, but you start with 20 of them or something. And so that could be happening here. Maybe people haven't seen Rosette. Um, but, you know, not, I'm not going to complain that the game has a Nazi killing trans woman. It just can, might be, depending on how more of her story unfolds, it might be one of those cases where the fan and player has to do the work of making, of, of filling in the gaps in a way that is less uh, offensive uh, that happens sometimes uh, when you're trying to reclaim a character, unfortunately. But other than that, the game seems really fucking good. And even that seems good if you're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that as the rest of that story unfolds. But I, I don't know. There's that, that series has been homophobic in the past here and there. Uh, it's been it's had its moments of both really cool shit and also some some shitty stuff. But that is actually not the, the tactics game I'm most enamored with. Um, I did play another little tactics game called Mech Court that is really Mech cool. Court? Mech Core. Mech Court. Mech Core. I was like, Night Court? <laughs> like, like the Marine Corps, like C-O-R-P, yeah. little indie mech game. And that was a nice little surprise. Uh, so there's also that. 
And then, and like I said, Dragonfall, Shadowrun Dragonfall, we're doing the Waypoint 101 on that. But the thing that I'm most enamored with, um, it also we're doing that Dragonfall 101 this week. So if you have questions, gaming at vice.com, use Waypoint 101 or Shadowrun or something in the, in the <coughs> header, and I'll find those. Frozen Synapse 2. Frozen Synapse oh. 2. Frozen, I think it's Synapse if you're American, Synapse if you're British. I think you're right. I, I always did Synapse. Yeah. Me too. Um, Frozen Synapse 2 is the follow-up to Frozen Synapse, which is a tactics game that came out, uh, I want to say like 2010, 2009, 2010. Yeah. It's been a while. That was kind of a, a really neat cyberpunk um, uh, tactics game that took a, a, a very different take on what tactical interaction could look like in a game like this. So instead of the sort of I-go-you-go style... Um, it's a we go game. It's a game in which you say you you and the computer or you and your real opponent, your your human opponent, plot out your move and then you hit go and then all of your units move at once. Um, and the game gives you a really powerful simulational tool where you can plot not only your own character uh, options, you can also plot your opponents. And so you can say, OK. There's a situation where I have a guy with a with a shotgun, and then I'm around a corner, and there's a long hallway, and there's a guy at the end of the long hallway with a with a sniper rifle or with a assault rifle, let's say. And I know, I believe that the guy with the assault rifle is coming towards me. You can go into the the kind of the before each turn, you can kind of plot out your character's moves and what you think your opponent's going to do. Uh, and so you can like, okay, well, if he charges at this speed, I can you I can wait behind this corner with the shotgun guy, and then come around the corner right as he's like getting ready to to turn the corner, and boom, I'll get him because I'm at close range. And you can test out like, okay, how close does he need to be? And then of course you hit go, and then he instead of charging you, he just like stands still and fucking aims, and then you come around the corner and get blasted or whatever. But like, it's a it's a cool tool to kind of test out the different ways that something could go, and it's a lot more analog if that makes sense than something like XCOM. It's not like okay, this is, it's not tile-based, right? You're not like, I'm going to move this character to this tile and hide them behind this tree. There are pillars to hide behind and stuff, but you're just kind of putting marks down on the map. Um, and the first game was linear. There were, there were story-based levels, and there were... Uh, it was a cool story about, about AI and kind of vat form clones, clones of, like, military clones built inside of these vats that were kind of disposable soldiers. It was a really interesting, cool game. There was a, a DLC follow-up expansion that came out that added some more units. Um, and it's not like XCOM in that you're not leveling characters up, even in, in the original one. You weren't really leveling up characters. It wasn't like, oh, this is Bill. This is Jane. Jane has a sniper rifle. Bill has a has a, a medic pack. And they're going to level up until that stuff is really good. Um, they're kind of disposable, and both narratively and, and mechanically. Uh, since Frozen Synapse 2, the thing that first got me excited about it was, like, the notion was this game is a little bit more like an XCOM game. It's a little bit more about the long game, and it's a little bit more freeform. It isn't just a linear run of levels. It's, uh, it procedurally generates a cyberpunk city at the very beginning, um, and it tosses you into it, and it says, hey, and this actually should start sounding more and more like XCOM, um, every now and then, this weird force attacks the city. It's called Sonata. It's, uh, it seems to be driven by one of these special AIs. Uh, instead of using VAT form clone soldiers, it uses real people. Uh, not that, you know, VAT form clone soldiers are real people too, man. But uh, <laughs> it's, it uses non-clone soldiers. Um, and they're, they are doing these, there are these moments of incursions where some sort of weird cyberpunk 
near magical relic shows up and Sonata, this kind of supposedly terrorist force, charges in to get that relic, right? Um, and kill a bunch of people in the process. And your job as the bureau chief of Bureau 8, uh, which is really just Section 9 from Ghost in the Shell with the fucking serial numbers filed off, is to intervene and stop Sonata. And so you just get this cool map, and every now and then there's a red mark on the, on the map where Sonata has attacked. And that is already kind of cool, because like, oh, good, I'm going to drive my cool cyber agents over there to deal with this nonsense and... and kill these, you know, this this evil AI's crew and stop them from stealing these near-magical relics. But the thing that the game very quickly layers on top of that is like, oh, but you're not the only person moving around this city. No, 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 no. You also have to, of course, you also see the, the cars and trucks of the Diamond Brothers, who are the primary financial force in the city that operate all of the banks. Uh, they'll sometimes be doing real money runs across the entirety of the the map, and, you know, maybe they'll get attacked by a third group who are guests, these hacktivist um, kind of uh, 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 anarchists who think that money is shitty and that and that banks are shittier. Uh, or maybe they will be being defended by Safeguard, a paramilitary uh, group that that brought order to, to the chaos back when the first game ended and in the time since then has been pushed out by the government and now they have like a, a bone to pick. Um, and the thing that all this ends up doing is creating a city that feels very lived in and where factions are vying for control. Uh, and it's, it's, I mean, the, the designer has referenced games like XCOM Apocalypse as the touchstones, but that's a game that I don't think a lot of people know about. And so let me just paint one little story picture here about how these things can come together. I get a contract, and Rob, I've already told you this story, so you, this is old hat for you, but um, my job is to kill Sonata and stop Sonata from stealing stuff. But... Also, sometimes you need extra money because you want to hire, let's say, someone with a sniper rifle that to join your crew. And you don't always get that much money because while you're being paid by the government uh, and by all the different districts in the government, uh, because everybody doesn't like Sonata, you, sometimes that's not enough money. Sometimes you want a little bit of extra stuff. That happens sometimes. And so you can be like, okay, I'm going to take out a freelance contract to do a little bit of dirty work for somebody else. Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes it's just like, I'm going to send my armed squad to deliver a package across town. But in this case, I took a contract from this group called Blue Sunlight, uh, which is this religious faction, to set up a checkpoint for 12 hours on one intersection. Because this is a, a big open world map, sort of. It's a tactical map, a kind of a strategic map of this proc-gen cyberpunk city. Like, there is just... Uh, an intersect a bunch of intersections and this map was like all right hey could you uh could you set up a a a, a roadblock uh on welker and uh thonis please and i was like yeah sure for forty thousand dollars i'll set up a checkpoint wherever the fuck you want bud like absolutely so i put down these two assault rifle units and this grenade launcher unit um on the map screen at this one place and and i'm just like all right cool just run the clock just run the clock just run the clock three hours later a strike team shows up from another group, this group called Safeguard, which I said is kind of this PMC. Um, and they just sort of park there. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what they're doing. I guess they're not a threat. Like, that's cool. And time continues. And like, oh, I got to keep guarding this place for another eight hours. No big deal. And then I get a, a call from this one district because each city district, there's like six districts, each has like a, a representative. Um, and these are the people who are kicking money up to you to pay for you to like fight Sonata. Um, and I get this call and they're like, Hey, uh, safeguard rolled into the airport and took over the airport. We need the airport. We can't have soldiers taking over the airport. I know you're here to fight Sonata, but can you come fucking deal with these soldiers? And I'm like, 
okay, you know, sure, that sounds yeah. Fuck them. They you shouldn't can't take. Be a, like, you can't. Can we wait eight hours on this? Like, so that's what I started. That's what I, I thought was like. Oh, I'll just um, I'll just say accept and wait eight hours. And then I looked at the contract detail, and the contract detail was that the airport needed to be freed by. You know, let's say I had, let's say I had the checkpoint until midnight. The the airport needed to be freed by eleven, right? That was like the like oh well fuck I have to make a choice here. Who do I want to blow off? Do I want to blow off the the church people? Do I want to blow off the safeguard the or sorry blow off the city district? Fuck it, I won't blow off anybody. I'm smart. I just tap my forehead three times. So I bought a new basic pistol unit. And pistols in this game are terrible. They are, like, not good weapons. They're, like, I'll put it this way. Like, to hire a new assault rifle unit is, like, $42,000. To hire a new pistol unit is $8,000. And I think they're probably only worth about 5000 honestly. I think I'm paying too much at eight. But I hire this new pistol mercenary. I run him over to where the checkpoint is because there's no problem at the checkpoint. No big deal. And I switch off with the checkpoint with my real team, and I'm like, all right, y'all go to the airport and deal with safeguard. And they're like, they're like, all right, bud, drive around the corner, take a left. As soon as they fucking turn the corner, the, the safeguard squad that I'd completely forgotten about that was parked at my checkpoint attacks and just destroys that single pistol unit. And I'm like, well, what the oh, fuck? Did I get baited? Like, did they go after the airport to lure me away from the checkpoint? And the answer is maybe, but maybe not. I don't, it could just be that they had two different goals and the way that the systems interacted suggested a sort of intelligence. Um, so I ended up sending that team to the, to the, to the, uh, to the fucking airport and they also lose. Uh, and at that point, the head of safeguard calls me up and he's this like smarmy looking general dude. It's like, good to speak with you, director. I'm the commander of safeguard. Uh, as you know, we've rescued the city from chaos. The law had collapsed. The infrastructure was gone. We were proud to assist in building a new order. We clearly caught you out, caught you by surprise out on the road at Welker and Thonis. If you stand in front of a train, you're going to get run over. And it's like, fuck this guy. Fuck off. And it's, I can see the seams. I can see the gears. I can see that that isn't, he probably didn't bait me. He doesn't exist. There isn't a he. Who am I talking about? The AI didn't bait me off of that 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 checkpoint, probably. But it felt like that. And that is like the opposite of Phantom Doctrine, which at all points is saying that there is this mysterious opponent, but you never feel like there's a mysterious opponent. You just feel like there are like seven different AI units who are all stumbling through the same office building at you with, with shotguns. And it's just like <laughs> this other game, which, which uh, for the sense is now yet it's coming out sometime this summer, presumably uh, hopefully soon. Um, it does so much, le- does so much more without all of the kind of fancy, um, uh, stuff on the sides, right? It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't have the the cool chalk or a, a cork board where you're laying in what the conspiracy is. All it has is, you know, I I got a call after that was over because I failed to secure the airport from that district where the district manager was like, you know what? That didn't go so well, so we're going to cut Bureau 8's funding. And I get to be like, well, fuck you, you're going to cut Bureau 8's funding. <laughs> like, I'm supposed to be, I'm they're supposed to fight Sonata. I'm fighting the evil AI thing. Like, I'm sorry your airport didn't get fixed. That's not my job. And that's such a cool moment from a game like this because traditionally these games are only about fighting aliens. Do you know what I mean? Like, I have a bigger take in this about or at some point probably, but there is something really cool. Briefly, another quick, quick, quick story 
I had a mission and then another game I started fresh. I started fresh because the fucking military dude ended up just acing me, the character, me, like my, the director of Bureau 8 just hangs out on the map. And because my units were completely decimated, was like basically unprotected. And so he ended up just fucking killing me. So I started the new game. Uh, and this time I took a mission early on to disrupt this protest, which meant like killing the armed guards at this protest. Uh, and, the what you do in a cyberpunk dystopia sometimes, sometimes you need to afford a new rocket launcher unit. And so you take money from the nearby district to get rid of the religious fanatics who are protesting. Uh, and first of all, it's just scary. It's just scary to be like, oh, I hopped out of this truck and on the map there are... 70 yellow units which is like neutral like civilians and like three armed guards uh and just in a big open box and i just like walked my dudes up to the front door and shot the three armed guards and walked away like it was not a big deal and it's such a big deal to do that you can't just do that uh (laughs) and i learned that because almost immediately um blue sunlight who was the group i was i was whose protests i was fucking up um came over to like to to fuck with me and fight me and I killed them when they tried to fight me again uh, and I I immediately got a call at that point um, from them that was like oh, this means war and they obviously cut their funding to me and then I was like well okay fucking calm down calm down like let's just how much money do you do I need to give you to make it this not be a war and like forty thousand dollars I was like well that's like an assault rifle okay fine here's forty thousand dollars <laughs> and they stopped the war and I'm like right, cool 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 truce. And then a second later, I get a call from fucking the anarchist hackers, and they're like, hey, um, I saw you gave a lot of money to the religious fanatics. Just want to just want you to know that that looks like endorsement from over here. Like, you really want (laughs) to, and it's like, retweets are not endorsement. Check my profile. Check my profile. profile. (laughs) How many times do I have to say it? It's in my bio. Giving 40, but here's the thing is, it actually, the thing was, like, that $40,000 wasn't actually, I wasn't just giving them that money. I was investing in the religion. And so actually the hacktivists only got in Mm. contact with me when publicly I got my first return on investment. I got like 2,500 back from that church. And it's like, okay, there's a lot happening in this game. And the thing that I like the most about it is that that doesn't happen in XCOM. In XCOM, France never calls you. And it's like, why are you yeah, there, why like, is there a profit sharing deal with Advent? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> or they never call you and go like, hey, this dude is speaking downtown who we don't like. They never say, Brazil never calls you in XCOM and says, yeah, there's like a revolutionary movement here. That you, could you quash that for us? Like, no, I, I fight aliens. And, and Brazil's like, no, 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 no. You got to come kill these humans, too, which is what would happen if XCOM was real. That's the thing I'm liking the most about Frozen Synapse is like it doesn't pretend that there could be a paramilitary group that exists for everyone in the world that wouldn't. It's genuinely super political. That's not right, going to happen. Uh, exactly. Like it, we would immediately be all right, who do you really work for? Because everybody funds you in this game. And so you're making choices that are cutting your funding constantly. Uh, and it's just so fun to play a game where, like, for me to be like, no, all I do is fight the aliens. It's like, all right, fuck it then, buddy. You don't get to afford that, that sniper rifle, I guess, because we're cutting your funding. Feels so much more true to the cyberpunk, like, ethos of corporations own this place, organizations own this place. You're a small fry, even if you're a small fry, unless you're useful to them. Um, so I've been enjoying that. That is out later this month or next month or I, sometime sometime this year, I guess. Uh, but but they sent out review codes, and I can't do a review yet, but I might stream some of it later this week. That might be a fun one. Um, I definitely want to see it in action. Yeah, sure. it's... Yeah, As we Baby should... Tactics Gamer, I'm, totally. I'm interested. Well, it might a... be a step up, 
but still yeah. it's such a different type of tactics game so I'm, I'm eager to show it to you because it is so it just doesn't play like those other games you know yeah. what i mean um it's it's a little bit more like i don't know like I'm, i i it's a hard comparison it's not a chess checkers comparison it's like a chess drawing comparison <laughs> do you know what i mean like sure. xcom is chess it's it's tactical it's thoughtful and so is this but there's a little bit more freedom like in like what your plans are X it's like a football play uh, like i mean they made that game right yeah. um frozen cortex cortex which is like which is really good but no one played football. it i never played it, it i feel bad about it, that. it was really good but like it just the theme did not connect with people, uh, I, I gather. But I'm really curious how well-realized that city feels as well. Um, Me too. And I, again, I've only put like six hours in or something like that at this point. I'm really enjoying it. I'm really, I, I'm really curious what the long tail is. Um, because right now I've played lots of short games where I get aced because I'm too eager to get involved with different factions. But... Um, you know, it's it's also a hard game, but there are, is lots of there's lots of tutorialization. There's a good tutorial for the combat. There's a good tutorial for the like strategic layer. There's a there is a tutorial for the strategic layer. I don't think it taught me to be to respect the power of these other factions as much as I needed to. Um, but I learned that by doing, and so it's definitely going to be one of those games where I save scum a lot, and it's super encouraged. You don't you not only have the ability to like save whenever you want and load those saves, but also like. In a, in any combat, you can just hit restart the combat or restart from the last from the last turn, so you can undo a turn at any point um, for free forever, which is great because sometimes you get into situations where you just make a real foolish mistake. Um, it's going to be a game I save scum a lot, and probably a game that I restart a lot. But um, Frozen Synapse Two, excited about it. Um, anything else? Anyone else playing anything? Rob, I know you were in some cars. You're a big fan of F1. I'm hearing. Yeah, uh, and I'll probably talk more about this, uh, you know, when I played a little bit more. But first impressions are really, really good. Like, this is the first... I, I've taken a couple years away from the F1 series. Uh, I did not right. play last year's edition very seriously. Uh, this is the first one that I've sort of, like, played on a big 4K display setup with the uh, with the Xbox One X. And, like, it does make a difference. Like, the weird thing is there are, like, things that are just part of the scenery normally in a racing game. Suddenly I'm really hyper aware of like the distance markers at the corners are now like hyper legible at a long distance. And so like you can just see where the 150 meter, the 100 meter uh, marker is on the corner, or you can see the little like uh, lights, uh, the indicator lights uh, that sort of replace flags. Right. So if you see a yellow flag, like sort of flickering in the distance, uh, that's your warning. Like something in this next sector, uh, you know, ha have your head up because there might be somebody spun out or trying to rejoin the track. Um, right. But the really effective thing is that um, you're going to be spending a lot of time in practice, actually, not just races. Cool. And the sort of carrot they they dangle in front of you is if you do these practice programs, you get research points that you can use to improve your car. And normally that's the only like that's why you would do that stuff in a lot of in a lot of games. Like, well, I'm just gonna grind these points and use yeah. it to, to get unlocks. Actually, this is a case where like this stuff is genuinely, at least to me, worth doing for its own sake. Like the points incentivize the behavior, but like once you start doing it, you realize like, oh shit, this is a crucial part of like learning the track. Uh and I'll give you an example. Um so there's like three programs uh that they sort of have you drive the track with. 
Uh, one is tire tire wear uh, conservation, uh, where you're just trying to like drive how you want, just don't fuck huh. up your tires. The other one is fuel conservation. Again, drive how you want, but just like don't use too much gas. And the last one is um, the energy recovery system, uh, re- like learning to drive the course without burning down your battery a lot because all the F1 cars are hybrids now right, uh, and right. they recover their own kinetic energy. Uh, so if you like go hard braking into a corner, the battery charges up really quickly. Um, and then if you flip to discharge mode, uh, as you come out of that corner, suddenly you've got battery assist acceleration, which is a really fast, uh, it's, a, it's a very fast acceleration. Uh, if you've ever driven like a Tesla, um, like electric motors can put down a ton of horsepower without any of the inefficiencies that like an internal combustion engine uh, has. So you can really feel that uh, when you're doing this stuff. And doing these three modes teaches you like drastically different ways of driving the course. Like, how do you basically have the same competitive time, but each of these approaches to the course requires a completely different, like, angle of attack. Like, your breaking point changes. Your speeds change. Like, everything changes. But you have to, like, figure out where to make the adjustments and where you can recover that time. And uh, it's really cool the way that arms you for the actual race day. Because inevitably, you'll find yourself in those situations where you're like, hmm... I'm running a little lean on fuel, so I'm going to cut back my fuel output. Uh, but I guess I'll use a little battery for these next few laps to re- like recover some of that. But also, I'm just running out of like rubber on these tires. And so I need to, start re- be, I need to start being really careful about that. And lap right. by lap, you're going to be making all these little calculations that like you need to have developed the intuition for how that's going to affect the handling of the car and how that's going to affect like the way you drive the track and F1 2018 like helps you develop that like intuition. Um, sort of, which is neat because that presumably is what happens with F- with real car race car drivers, right? Yeah. Is like you learn the track, you learn how it affects your machine, you learn how it, uh, uh, how, how to counter certain things. And then you, once you have that knowledge, you bring it to race day where other competitors, where you, you get to fill those in differently or, or use that knowledge differently because of the makeup of the pack, right? Like if other racers are like blowing you out of the water, uh, then maybe it's because they're going heavier on their, their, their fuel consumption or something like that, right? And like yeah. you then know that you, you have a way of countering that down the, down the line. That's a really interesting way that's an interesting way to go about race games like for me the only time i've ever done that is project cars the first project cars but that was mostly just to learn tracks not to have that sort of next level relationship with learning them i I was learning them i was learning how to drive them it sounds like you were learning how to drive them differently or to drive them the 3m model you're learning to drive them better yeah Uh, and that's and that is uh that sounds neat yeah, it is. And it does like just sort of bring out that um like so much about these these cars now in this era is about like managing these complex systems and their uh, sort of interrelationship. Uh cool. so I'll have more to say next time cuz like the races themselves are really cool and uh, it looks to me like the AI's been upgraded, but I need to get a few more races under my belt because um I came in I was super rusty and so I was like all right, I better tone down this difficulty. <laughs> and then I just started blowing these guys like off the line. Like just completely nice. like Lewis Hamilton pff, dust that loser uh beat him by like six seconds in a car that is a piece of shit like (laughs) like things that should just not be happening i'm like driving a crap car and like almost lapping the field and so i had to adjust 
Uh, I've been subtly ramping up the difficulty trying to find the sweet spot. And now I'm, I think I found it, and I hate it because I'm not winning anymore. Right. <laughs> Great. Aww. Perfect. Uh, one last thing, I think, before we go into our, our buckets. Uh, Dead Cells, Patrick, can I get a Dead Cells update? Have you beaten Dead Cells yet? No. How, Dead Cells, hell yeah, that's the update. That sounds like hell yeah. Okay, you playing still on same on yeah, PS4 I'm, or on PC? I'm on mad Switch? that I'm mad that my PC and sync, uh, Switch versions can't sync. Yeah, like, that'd be good. Uh, uh, item buckets. Um, so uh, like this weekend, I was uh, away from my PC, which has been like the primary place yeah. that I uh, played uh, the game. Um, and so I'm starting from scratch in terms of unlocks for like health potions and and weapon drops. Um, and also, I uh, am so used to playing on the Xbox One controller, which is sort of like probably my favorite controller ever made. Like, I don't, I don't, do not like the PlayStation Four controller like at all. Like, I, I will use it. I will, I will play games on it. But like, if, if, if you know, yeah. if I had my way. I the, the Xbox One controller is, is the my preferred one, and because that game is so Twitch based, uh, like just my the way my hand rests on it is so specific to. Uh, movement and 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 getting around that playing on the switch feels just completely alien uh, no matter how much time i put into it i always would wish i could just like dock yeah. it somewhere and connect an xbox one controller um so yeah i'm mostly just playing it on switch because i'm away from my pc not because i like intend to like play it through wholly twice it's more just like okay like i'm, I'm just gonna kind of screw around here maybe i'm getting some drops that i didn't have in my my pc version yet and so like it's experimenting with some weapons and some some builds and uh on the pc i'm not really going for distance anymore i'm not trying to beat the the game i'm mostly i'm like i'm doing the daily challenges so there are there are daily runs like a lot of games these days but uh dead cells incentivize you to to play it not because you're trying to go up on the leaderboard because i'm not um but if you compete uh, complete enough of the daily challenges like the way the daily challenge works is like it gives you a random one level uh from the game and uh then there are uh drops to upgrade your stats but it just flatly upgrades all of them um you don't you know, pick and choose and then there's a boss at the end um and you get two weapons up front that are usually like pretty powerful but pretty different and often are not weapons that are in your arsenal from playing the game normally um right. at least that's been my experience is like a lot of stuff that i've i've never used before um like a kind of like a fencing sword was one of them where you like jab twice really quick and then you dash across the screen Ooh, which is like cool. a really neat, was interesting yeah. weapon um <laughs> <laughs> it basically like incorporates a roll into the attack right, that's great attacking and then rolling um and it, if you complete it once you unlock uh, this really interesting sword. If you complete a, f- a daily challenge four times, not the same daily challenge, you have to right, come back right. and do a different daily challenge. Four times, you get a different unlock. I think like ten times. So like that's an interesting way for that's me neat. to engage with yeah. a game mode that otherwise I don't have a lot of interest in. Well, the um, daily challenge is so different from what I think it's point of, based. It's point based. Like it's like a single level, and it gives you a build or it gives you like a uh, certain items, and then you yeah, you just go for it. And that's such a different thing than like the Splunky daily challenge or whatever that I'm used to. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, still really, really liking Dead Cells, but sort of like putting a pause on uh, trying to get to the end and mostly like, okay, like I'll start grinding out different cool. weapons and item drops and getting like the 700 points that like unlock the fourth health vial. Uh, and then I'll start kind of like mounting a challenge uh, for that. But this is one thing I mentioned on a on an, uh, an OT last week about it, which is like an interesting sort of conundrum for a game like Dead Cells, which is that like I like the fact that it's pushing back on the builds that I get comfortable with. 
um, because of the randomization of the drops. But at the same time, uh, you want to try new weapons, but every time you try a new weapon, you essentially are lowering the percentage chance that you're going to get something that you liked or familiar with. And I've seen some people who don't like the drop-based nature of the weapons and would prefer to just, like, structure a build more specifically with what they want. They're fine with, like, the level structure being random, but, like, wish you had a little more control over, like, the drops that appear in the game. Like, I, I can imagine a version of this game or or some sort of thing where, like, if you could limit, I don't know, if you could eliminate, like, five or ten things from Ooh. the item pool and just, like, take those out. But it seems to run counter to what they want you to do, which is the game is really just explicitly built around you having to learn a build yep. on the fly on a run. And if that's... If you don't like that, then maybe Dead Cells is just not for you because yeah. I think that is explicitly part of the way the game is built between the weapon structure or the drop structure and then also the fact that weapons have different elemental alignments and those are randomized Every time. in the game as well. Yeah. So it's like even if you find a sword that you really like, well, it may not line up with the elemental stat that you've like been building into. And so like at that point, like the, the argument for restricting it to certain weapons starts to fall apart because I think it's more just embracing... It's not that every weapon is useful, but most weapons have some sort of use and that you need to try and get creative over how they interact with The thing that would make me like that game so much less is if I if it encouraged me to find three or four builds that I liked and only ever play with those. Like right. I would not enjoy that game anywhere no, near. Because the as fun much. is like, man, I don't ever fucking use this, this whip tactics or, weapon right. it's like or whip or whatever and like oh okay actually like oh i oh now i see how this could be like really interesting right uh like like i never use the sandal weapon the one where the you like kick, kick someone yeah. like 300 style yeah. well it turns out that you know if you kick an, if you kick someone into the wall it like dizzies them and so it's right. like if you have like a sort of a long range weapon like a spear it's like we well, can kick someone into the wall and then let's say you have a spear that does weapon based damage or uh, wall based damage uh, bonuses it's like okay well suddenly you start seeing how like two weapons that you might not have understood their how they riff off one another suddenly do yeah. a really interesting That's thing. Cool. So yeah. Awesome. Dead cells. Good. Cool. Uh, let's take a <laughs> quick dip in the question bucket. We got a good one in today. If you have a question, you can send it into gaming at vice.com. You use the subject question bucket. This one comes in from Garth who says this question was inspired by hearing Jeff Kaplan recount his decision as a teenager to purchase a Sega Genesis instead of a Super Nintendo solely due to Sega's perceived edginess as compared to Nintendo's more child-friendly image. That's extremely funny. Uh, having, yeah, it is. <laughs> having come come of age amid the console wars, wars of the early aughts, I could relate to Kaplan's adolescent vulnerability. I can still distinctly recall my own quiet sense of shame as a high schooler that my family owned a fun-for-the-whole-family Nintendo Wii rather than a get-out <laughs> Out of my room, Xbox 360. Despite <laughs> privately adoring Mario Galaxy, Metroid Prime 3, Okami, etc., I just couldn't shake the feeling that, that I was playing the wimpiest console and it made me the wimpiest gamer. For Aww. decades, we've been bombarded with my new alt, the wimpiest <laughs> gamer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for decades, we've been bombarded with direct appeals to our sense of shame and insecurity, advertisements that have much more to do with how we view ourselves and how we view a particular product. From slogans like "Now you're playing with power" to those awkward self-insert Call of Duty ads, you know the ones where an 18 to 24 year old, usually white guy, runs around a war zone in a t-shirt, gleefully firing an M16 and checking grenades. Remind us that video game marketing departments, like all marketing departments, tend to focus their efforts on showing us, well, some of us, a more appealing version of ourselves. As media-savvy adults, we ought to know better, and yet, 
So, can anyone on the panel think of a time when that more insidious kind of marketing, the kind that directly targets your own self-image, has worked on you? Could be gaming-related or not. Bonus points if you're brave slash self-reflective enough to admit this happening as an adult. Thanks for being my favorite gaming outlet. Keep being good at being good. Cheers, Garth. Thank you, Garth. So, times you bought in to the hype, bought into the the uh, the 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 praise of your of your alternate self if only you had this one thing you would be a cooler you danielle you look like you have a very good example i'm ready for it i will watch any terrible fucking movie that has like the like very you know stereotypical strong female lead Mm. like i see a woman with muscles you're in i'll watch whatever it is it's fine (laughs) i've watched so many horrible 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 movies and been like yeah this is great just because it was like there's a woman with biceps in it, and uh, I'm not going to lie. I just, you know, Good to I know have no shame. Totally. I, I, know, I know what it is. That will work on me. <laughs> I was definitely a Sega kid. I was the, I'm a Jeff Kaplan. Like, I, I did eventually the <laughs> SNES, but absolutely was like, I can say with no shame that I bought all the way into, like, no, man, like, the Genesis just has games for adults. Like, Sega. Like, Streets of Rage 2, a game for adults. Eternal Champions. Eternal Champions, a game for adults. way better than Mortal Kombat, even though you had to buy the six-button controller to do most of the moves in that game. You couldn't do most of the moves in Eternal Champions on the basic controller. If you're a mature adult, you need six buttons to play video games. I don't need four buttons plus the triggers. That's Was that six? Yeah, I guess the SNES also had six. But it was different. It was worse. See, I was... <laughs> and SNES, and I made fun of fools like you. Like I felt actively superior as an owner of a Super, Super Nintendo. And then the 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 uh, where we had a, in our friend group, like all of us opened, opened uh, or owned a Super Nintendos. And then there was one friend who had a Genesis. And then uh, I, I feel like I probably told the story before, but the you know we would constantly make fun of him for that, even though we liked games like Sonic the Hedgehog. Right, of course. But, um, uh, the one time he had the the punch of the one time where he had. Uh, I will call it moral superiority over us was the release of Mortal Kombat, right? Because the the goddamn gray sweat that you could make put in a cheat code Not to make sweat it right off. red sweat in the Super Nintendo version, but there was just straight up blood and murder and Sub Zero fucking up fools taking <laughs> out those spies. The Genesis version, that's right. He's like, oh, you want to come over to my house and play a Genesis? It's like, yeah, we do. <laughs> well, like the, the worst thing for and me. And then is- Mortal, Tom- Mortal Kombat Two came out, and the Super Nintendo version was way better than that. Yep. I was like, yes, back. Back on top. The worst thing was very much like, like the thing that I'm saying is true, which is it isn't just that it was edgier. It was that in my young mind, even then I was, the Genesis is the Dark Souls 2 of video game consoles is like <laughs> oh in, young Austin, in young Austin's brain of uh-huh. like liking games like Shadowrun on the Genesis or um, just like Syndicate, I guess Syndicate was probably on SNES also. But like there was a, a but that was also an era where like you would get legitimately different. Like they were basically different games on different platforms. Oh, I don't know if that was true of Syndicate, but no, 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 that no. was true of Shadowrun, right? Hundred percent true of Shadowrun. Where like the the SNES Shadowrun game is also cool. Like I'm not anti that game, but it's, but like, it's like but, but like the Genesis version is like the one. If you for me it is like it's an open world game where you create your own character and take take on procedurally generated shadow runs like. It was so different and unique at the time, uh, and so cool and weird. Um, and like those sorts of games were were. It felt like to me as a young player that like if I wanted to play a really like tradition, if I wanted to play a very very good version of the sorts of games I was already playing on my NES, I would play the SNES. 
But if I wanted to play games that were just a little weird and they felt a little askew, I was going to well, play the Genesis. the Genesis was super popular in Europe, so right. you ended up getting yes. like, like, like realistically, you were getting like games that were different than like this traditional American Japanese sort of developed games because you were getting an infusion of European development because like people in North America don't like often forget that like the Super Nintendo it didn't you know it wasn't irrelevant in Europe but like relative to the popularity of the you know the Mega Drive like right that's Genesis like it was it was like no contest like Sega won you know thank Europe. you so much Patrick for making me feel like a smart child that's that's <laughs> I'm so glad I can feel but that I'm, way but I do think like that that has to have been part of that was it like that you were getting offbeat games relative to what had gone through like what you're getting through Nintendo Power and things right, like that. Right. Because the Genesis was just pr- getting different stuff right. by the virtue of where it, where it had been commercially popular. Totally. That's exactly how it felt at the time. Uh, and also, Sonic was cool and fast. So, yeah, Oh, man, I was so excited to stack those carts on one of those. Dude, like, Sonic and Knuckles. Fucking like, hell yeah. When we rented it from uh, Blockbuster, uh, yeah. which I would say rest in peace, except like isn't there still one left? So. Is there a what Blockbuster? Oregon, right? Really? Yeah, I think there's one like left. Like Eugene like, or something? There was a... Yeah, there was like a recent profile about the one that's left, and like they're irritated because people come there just to take photos and not actually spend any money. Which I you're guess a blockbuster fair, but also in 2018. Last blockbuster. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a curiosity uh, at this point. Yeah. When uh, when we rented the uh, Sonic and Knuckles uh, from there, uh, they they put like a piece of plastic over the bit to put the old game. So people don't remember how Sonic and Knuckles yep. worked. So Sonic Knuckles was its own game, but it also had this uh, opening on the top where you could put old cartridges on top, and it basically like hacked, reprogrammed Knuckles into Sonic One, and That's Knuckles so could climb on cool. walls and stuff like that. It was fucking cool. Like it was a really, really neat, hacky, weird thing that for it to be commercialized and published by Sega was like it, it like blew our minds. But Blockbuster put a piece of plastic over the bit where you could put the old games and. I remember asking my friend's parents, like, fuck, what's the deal? And they called Blockbuster, and Blockbuster was, like, afraid that pe- kids were going to fuck it up by, like, having that spot open, which, fair on Blockbuster's part, probably. But we said, ah, screw that, and just got, like, hammers and screwdrivers out and just ripped wow. that plastic off and then put it in. But, like, wow. we ripped it in. We took it off in a way that, like, you could kind of place it back on the cartridge. Nice. So that reasonably, when Blockbuster got it back, they could just maybe think, like, oh... It fell off as opposed to like, yo, these kids like took a hammer to, the, to this thing and got it. Took it Dirty off. tactics over here. <laughs> but the thing about it's in that, Bend, Oregon. Thank you. Thank so you. So you know. You're paying Last it forward one. though, Patrick. And then the next kid who got Hell that car yeah. was able to use it. I should have put a note in there, taped it to the back of the car. Send cartridge. 25 cents to Patrick Klepik <laughs> in <laughs> Illinois. Uh, Rob, how about you? Have you ever succumbed to this sort of advertising in your in record of your mind God, constantly i mean like look i'm not gonna sit here <laughs> yeah. and pretend that i'm immune to this shit i'm incredibly easy to get under like my skin uh because i am uh deeply insecure and aspirational uh i suppose Hell but yeah, like america i mean like honestly like at this point the last two cars we bought have been mazdas right like why mazdas like my family is a toyota family growing up because like well become toyota people because like american cars in the 80s fucking sucked and like nothing made you a diehard toyota loyalist than having a toyota in the 90s that never fucking broke uh unlike every gm car you ever owned but uh like mazda put out these commercials um it was like the art of craftsmanship campaign and it's just all fucking uh like 
like Japanese design engineers and artisans like sculpting the new Mazda concept car and like you know all the you know all the ways that a that a Mazda is like just a like almost a bespoke driving experience they're making cars to be driven not just like commodified products and like at that point in my life I was like damn yeah I do hate cars they're commodities I want <laughs> <laughs> give me that I should just, you know we'll just go we'll just go test drive them and now admittedly they did kind of like those ads did also reflect something about Mazda which was that like Mazda cars are fun to drive. Like I've driven a lot of different sedans. Like I've rented a bunch when I'm when I'm like traveling for business. Like Mazdas actually do have sort of a crisp, nimble handling that feels a little bit sporty, no matter what you're driving. That's very me. But the reason I like gave it a shot on those terms was because there was basically a nice ad with like. You know, the standard fucking appeal to my weeboo ass, I suppose, just being like, you know, ah, yes, the history of Japanese craftsmanship can be yours for for just $20,000. Uh, you know, a thousand do it signing. Um, so, I mean, there's that. Uh, I, like, I completely fell head over heels for that fucking PlayStation Double Life ad. Uh, like... Which one was that? Oh, You'll know when I when when you see it. Let me just link it to you. Yeah, I'm pulling it up. I I got it. I got it. So we just like crank the speakers. Yeah, we'll just run it Wait. through the thing. Yeah, uh, but it's oh wow, really, Rob? Right? No, it's it doesn't age well. But like at the time, no. like I'm like that's great. That's that really speaks to something about what's amazing about games. Uh, and like literally now that it is a fucking like shitty gamer t-shirt. I don't, I, you know, I chose to have many lives. Yeah. People told me to get a life. I chose to have many. That's literally yeah. the ad oh, that Sony made. God. But like when I saw this ad, I mean, it was only the business in the UK. So I'm coming to it years later. I'm making decisions about whether I should get a PlayStation three. I see this old UK PS one ad and I'm like, the spirit of Sony lives on my friends. Give me that fucking PlayStation three. Let me, let me get aboard that listing ship. Fucking! I look at the back of, of Rob Zachney's car. It's his bumper sticker that says, "My other Mazda is a fucking dragon." Or yeah, some so bullshit. Well, yeah. So this is. I am completely susceptible to to this bullshit. Like I had this weird, like I had this weird, like huh, um, reaction to this like utterly disgusting, uh, like GMC ad, uh, which was basically about like. It's like, I think it's called Anthem. It's part of their Like a Pro campaign, uh, which is basically like, don't be a decent person or just an everyman. Don't be a piece of shit like that. Like, be the best. Be like, it's a ridiculous ad. It's terrible. And there's this heartbeat where I was like, yeah, maybe that's how I want to live my life. I'm going to get my philosophy just from like corporate approved, incoherent, uh, you know, marketing messaging that's soundtracked by Philip Glass. That's who I am now. Perfect. That is, you know, it's good to know who you are. Um, my only other one here that is contemporary for me, like, right now, is definitely internet advertisements for clothes for big dudes that aren't t-shirts or, like, big dogs? aggro, huh? So not big yeah, dogs. Big, not big dogs. So like the opposite of big dogs. Big like, dogs! Please, I mean, like, that's the big dogs is like the is the thing that it was forever right is that was like for a long time what advertisements for for big and tall looked like was either big dogs t-shirts right just like angry you know uh 
angry. Like, I'm just going to search for the word big dogs t-shirts. Uh, if you want to run with the big dogs, you got to get I'm off just the read- porch. Right, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. That's the fifth one here. <laughs> big dog dad. Do I look like an ATM? Uh, wait, did you? Oh, I got to buy that shirt. Wait, Can I buy that big shirt? Rob, did you dad. actually do a Google for this? Or is that porch one off the top of the dome? Uh, no, I remember. I like that was one that I remember. Oh, okay. Cause I think okay, uh, that's like, the second, it's the second result for big dog. Otherwise, t-shirt. otherwise Rob on the side has been doing creative consulting with big dog. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> he like is the big dog. Look, I, like I look, I saw a commercial that made me realize big dogs was not who I was. So all my big dog shirts yeah. just live in the back of the closet now, but like, they're still <laughs> part of me. Like still part, wants to just be a there. big yeah. bulldog yeah. wearing sunglasses with kind of a little smirk on my face. Totally. Sounds like L.A. Rob a little bit, maybe. A little you know? bit. A little Big bit. Dog Jason. A little bit of L.A. Rob in there. Um, when so he relaxes. That's one yeah. category of, of, of big man's clothes is big dog t-shirts. Yeah. The other is like slate gray. It's just like imagine I'm holding up a piece of metal to cover my entire body. It's suits <laughs> that are those, right? Just like this suit will make you a completely like – flattened out person you will just be it'll just be a caricature of a human being you'll be what an alien would look like if they had to mold from from pure carbon the shape of a person and had the slider on a little too big so that's bad too yeah it's very much like we get it you're self-conscious about your body so if you're a middle management job we are just going to deck you out in the most shameful tarps possible. Yep. Uh, but yep. you can, just you know, like you can put a fucking tie on it because you have to. But really, we both know <laughs> that if you could, you'd be wearing sweatpants. You sack of garbage. That's how those clothes feel. <laughs> that's like, how those clothes. That's how they are. That's how they're. They look, and it's how they're advertised. So when I see like an advertisement for a nice pair of light colored shorts, or bright colored shorts, or a printed button up. That is like a like like it was like floral pattern or and then it's like worn with a guy with like a good beard and he's like showing his curves off like all right that's me how much seventy two dollars that's too expensive I'll take three and <laughs> then, like it just works because it's like oh hey here is a reminder that I that there are ways I can dress my body that make it look appealing to me as a person um, and that is a, a pretty rare thing uh, especially out in the world and it's one of the reasons why I'm glad that there are like independent fashion blogs and like i could i could go on pinstagram right now pinstagram isn't a thing is it it's pinterest <laughs> pinterest i said pinstagram i'm oh 47 i'm 47 it has instagram Instagram is like you're some drawing from your fiction. CSI is like some is that, like that was that's some Bill Belichick ass. Like I don't want to acknowledge that I know what the world how the world works. <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah. So like I could go on Pinterest right now and like find 32 looks that I would love to have, and that feels good. So. I, yeah, I just need like a line of clothes. that's basically like what do ex NFL linemen wear when they want to look snazzy. Yes. Like, give me that fucking clothing yes. label. Like, literally, the label can be ex-NFL lineman, preferably offensive, looking schnazzy. Uh-huh. Like, just print that on a label, and, like, I'm there for it. I will su- sign me right the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. I like this with, uh, like, you know, grappling clothes. Like, grappling sure. gear. And it's always the most absolute fucking trash graphic design. It's, mm-hmm. like, dragons and Vikings, and there was definitely, like, a Cthulhu one once Bad. that was just like eldritch horror just bursting out of your chest while it's also gonna hug your muscles and you're gonna be so good if you wear this thing and it's yeah that works on me I'll yeah. buy I'll buy oh seven. so you're all the way in on the Cthulhu. Vikings 
Cthulhu Vikings. I have a, I have a Viking rush guard. I almost wore it yesterday. Uh, oh, sorry, two days ago. Time. Yeah. But like, I I actually brought three different rash guards, and I asked my friends like, which which one do you think I should wear? Like, which? But I, I brought them, the thing is like, at least like you have an athletic build, and so there's lots of like you can pull off tons of different styles, and they won't all have the subtext yeah. of like we hold you in contempt. Whereas, like, no, totally. Now, totally. Not, not that there's a shortage of clothing that has female customers in contempt. Like, there's oh, plenty, of plenty of, of that. Is, plenty of that. The wild thing is, like, I I have a weird body type. My shoulders are way wider than my hips, mm. which is like kind of uncommon for women. And otherwise, I'm like really small and skinny. So, like, I need to wear like four sizes up for my shoulders <laughs> than I do for everything else. Sure. So I just look like I'm wearing a fucking muumu if I'm actually wearing like normal women's clothes because it's just like. Really, very. I have opinions about this too. But Fair. rash guards, they fit great. Love them. Natural <laughs> fit, you know. Natural you're built fit, for the ring. You know? Yeah, that's it. It's like very much the the on the fat man's fashion. It's either I don't have a body. Don't look down here. Or I'm too important to care. I'm a man, and <laughs> I can look like whatever I fucking want to look like. Peon, and that I don't want either of them. My lineman coach who owned a car dealership I'm, definitely wore big dog uh-huh. shirts. That's what I'm saying. This is why I can't Good. fuck with. I can, you know what? I can fuck with a big dog T-shirt in bed. I could be like, yo, I'm just gonna wear this big dog T-shirt. Yeah, but that's what you'd be wearing anything. That sounded a little bit like I could in, just bed. in bed. I could. I could pull off a big dog T-shirt in bed. <laughs> I, know, I know where I'm still a big. dog. I know where I'm still a big dog. <laughs> this is where the magic happens. So I put on the big dog T-shirt. You ready to run with the big dog? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, turn off this podcast. Then stay on the porch. I'll be in bed. <laughs> Uh, oh all right, we should quickly hit some waypoints. I have a super quick one, and then we can we can wrap this thing up. I did FlameCon this weekend, uh, which nice. is a, a, a queer comics convention. I had a blast. I met a bunch of great people, some great Waypoint fans, some really great Friends of the Table fans. People had nothing but great things to say about us here, so thank you to everybody who, who chatted. Uh, and and who I met some great people who I had never met in person. I met Irene Co. I met uh, DJ. Oh, like I met a bunch of people from the internet. Where it's like, oh, I love your work, and I like didn't know that you were even here. You know, um, and so that was a blast. I got a bunch of cool comics, uh, independent comics, and and things like that. Um, so I guess my waypoint is just like one, like FlameCon will be back in New York next year, also. But in general, like go to local comics, little micro comic conventions. Uh, if you have the ability to, you know, they're, they're kind of regional in some way. Um, uh, and it's just a blast. And also go to queer conventions. Like, it's a space where I felt super safe and super secure and super, like, able to engage with with people who I could tell felt a weight removed. Um, because yeah. even going to a regular comics convention, if you're a queer creator, like, yes, there there are queer creators at traditional comics conventions. But those are like so ultra commercial, um, and and when I say commercial, there I don't mean that that flame kind of wasn't commercial. I definitely dropped a bunch of money on comics, uh, but when I say commercial, there I mean like industry, right? Those like traditional comics conventions are so industry, uh, so so connected to the the biggest of big name publishers, uh, and so it was really cool to to meet up with a lot of independent queer creators who felt like they were really comfortable and who were excited to show off their work and I was excited to spend money on it. So that was really great. So check out those. Those are that's my waypoint. Uh who has another one? I got a short one. Uh so uh I th- I think we've mentioned this on the podcast in the past, but um Slate has this really exceptional podcast series called Slow Burn. Right. Um they did one on Watergate uh last year, um, in which they sort of like re examine 
rather than the stuff that you think you know, it's like following it from the beginning and like the weird tangential storylines that end up informing uh, like a really moment important, a really important part in political history. Um, and they're the second season, which just started a week or two ago, is about the sort of like Clinton impeachment trial. Um, and I lived that era technically, but like all my memories of like Bill Clinton are like. He played the saxophone on The Tonight Show, right? Like, I was just too young right. to, like, have any sense. And I, I I do not – I don't remember, like, my parents having any sort of, like, talk about, like <laughs> – like, I've heard from other friends who are, like, older who are, like, my parents had to explain, like, why everyone's talking about a stain on a dress. Um, oh, are you not – your house was not, like, keyed in on all that stuff? I, if it was, I wow. don't remember it or I, I don't know if, like – I doubt my parents were, like, purposely avoiding it. I just don't – for some reason it didn't. Like, I just don't have any recollection. I should ask my mom. Maybe I'm just, like, not recalling it and actually well, there was more going on. All to say, even even if I was keyed in, like, none of that would have stuck in the way that, like, I was I was not reading, like, actual understandings of, like, Bill Clinton and his, his presidency. Um, and so, yeah, the first two episodes of this, like, start way back at, like, how, like, that, you know, kind of star everyone's assigned. So it's, it's really good. It's a really intricate, interesting uh, look at... Um, both his presidency and uh, that specific moment in time. So uh, it's, yeah, it's called Slow Burn, and I recommend it. Cool. Rob or Danielle? I got a quick one. Hell yeah. All right. You know how I watched Nightmare on Elm Street the first last week? I do. I did Last week, I went to part two. Nightmare on Elm Street part two. No, it's fascinating. It is. That's a word. It's it's honestly like a, a very negative and fucked up gay allegory hmm. basically Ooh. the whole movie uh which was very 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 much sort of subtext in the first years of that movie being out but then later on like many years later uh because there was this whole thing about the the actor who played the lead character was actually a closeted gay man Ooh. and there were a lot there's a lot of imagery in that movie that is very 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 queer coded uh he even goes to a gay bar at one point which for an 80s movie is like whoa that's interesting um Later on, the director actually said, like, yeah, actually, we were playing it up big time uh, because of things like the AIDS crisis and everything that was going on at the time, which uh, not a positive queer <laughs> film by any yeah, anybody's stretch not. of the imagination, but it's fascinating for that aspect of it and where it fits uh, historically. So I was watching it absolutely like, oh, my God. And I had never seen this one before either. So I actually sort of. Went in knowing that, like, nobody holds this movie in very hard regard. Uh, but seeing all that stuff and then later reading a little bit about sort of the history of this movie, it was like, oh, wow, there's there's a lot going like, on here. It's not yeah, positive well, representation, but I'm curious, does, does it work as, like, crypto protest art or something? Trying to, like, evoke a feeling of, like, what it was like to live through that like as a gay person like does it does it succeed or like scan on those merits uh or is it still kind of just homophobic because of its period yeah i I mean i think it's a pretty intensely homophobic Mm. movie but i could absolutely read it especially knowing that the the lead actor himself was a was a queer man who was closeted and living in the 80s and living as a closeted gay guy who other people on the production knew and that's why they sort of played up certain elements visually speaking and even in the script uh there was even like a deleted scene um they were going to film it where freddie puts his claws in in his mouth like straight up like you know 
blowjob imagery. Like, it was going to be that. They actually had to pull that part out, but nothing else was sort of, like, taken out. Like, every other piece of queer coding is still there. Uh, so I could absolutely read that as sort of like a, oh, this is sort of the digest of, like, mm-hmm. how horrifying it was to be gay at the time. How, how like, terrible the world really was uh, to be, like, a queer teenager at the time. So, fascinating movie. I don't I think am, it... I, I admire your ability to find a reason <laughs> to find interesting things to say about the second Nightmare on Elm Street. But I, I didn't know that. I did not know that myself. Sure. I just know that's a bad movie. But that's... that's That often, uh, especially, like, long-running horror franchises, the reasons they were made and, like, the production is often far more interesting than, <laughs> than the than film. Than the movie. Itself, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's, it's uh, all, if you're ever reading like the fourth or fifth entry in a, like just keep the Wikipedia page open because like yeah. that's usually like will give you points of interest that uh right have less to do with the actual movie you're watching. Yeah, I just and you're about to get heard. to the really good one, Dream Master. Oh my god! Oh, I'm I'm onto that. I, I, I might be watching that one next. Actually, that might be what it. I do tomorrow night. God. Uh, Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors. Yes. That's where the the final the Fra- girl from Frank the first Darabont one comes classic. back. Yes. Yeah. Uh, awesome. It's uh, yeah. It's a it's a really. It's 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 uh, Nightmare on Elm Street B movie and just good. It's very good. I it you know no I don't think anyone is explicitly a gamer in that movie, but that's that's the night that's that's the Nightmare on Elm Street movie for gamers. Gamers gonna fight (laughs) Freddy. They're gonna beat him back in their own minds. They are they're the warriors here. Most people uh, tell me to get a life, but (laughs) I choose to have many. It's like Freddy's just eviscerating them. <laughs> I will say briefly, I, I also took a picture. I went to Planet Hollywood for a friend's birthday yesterday, and I took a picture with Robert England's sweater oh, and claws. There you go. In the first movie. So wow. let me tell you who's number one. Number one Nightmare fan. on Elm Street fan right here. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Perfect. Rob, do we still have one from you? Oh. Still waiting on one from oh, you? Oh, yeah. You know what's oh, coming. No, I don't. What's up? What's What's next? Yeah, you do. Uh oh. Yeah, someone watching a lot of Riverdale again, uh season two. No. Uh <laughs> no, I so we still need to figure out a time to do that. That we for people who've been asking us what yeah. happened to the Riverdale, uh it turns out that that we have bad schedules and we need to yeah. we need to just weird, pull the weird. It's harder now that Danica no longer works here. Uh, yeah, weird. Hard. It's, it's tough. Uh <laughs> but and is now on the West Coast. Um no, so this weekend I finally finished the Americans. Uh, finished the series. And the way I described it to my partner, uh, about halfway through the final episode, I was getting a drink of water, uh, is that I feel like I was coming out of like a six-year-long anxiety episode with this show. Because like, the feeling of the Americans, for me watching it, has always been impending disaster. Like That show has been very good at living on that like razor's edge of like, <laughs> you're always like the conceit of the show is they're two Soviet spies living in a like deep cover in America who have an FBI agent move in across the street from them, uh, just like completely randomly and by accident. And they're trying to like carry on being, uh, like covert agents while he is working for the FBI counter, uh, you know, counterintelligence division. Um, and it always just feels like they're going to get caught something's going to go terribly wrong or more often it doesn't. It just turns out what they're involved in is so utterly heinous and soul crushing, uh, that, you know, almost would be preferable if it went horribly wrong, uh, because it'd be better than, than what they've actually succeeded in doing. Um, this final season 
pays off so many of these like plot lines and threads and these conflicts that have been sort of like built up for years across the show and like in its final four episodes starts just like bringing them all out into the open like including things that like you maybe thought like years ago like this situation seems like it's going to be a problem down the road it's like it's all remembered it is all it all has like a weight and it's all going to like fire off in less like four episodes and it just completely like wrecked me but in the best possible way like there was so much like catharsis and satisfying resolution uh especially in the final two episodes uh the the final two episodes just have these moments of just staggeringly good uh acting uh in the next to last episode there is a showdown that's been years in the making between Carrie Russell and Margot Martindale um oh, beloved God. character actress uh Margot Martindale <laughs> and and then the final episode like literally the the thing we've been waiting for for like 6 years uh is this confrontation between Noah Emmerich's uh FBI agent Stan Beeman and uh and Philip uh Matthew Reese and like dude they just let the cameras roll for like 13 minutes on the scene oh, as God. these two characters just like work through the realization that they're having about each other and their relationship it's amazing and you have no idea how it's going to pan out that whole conversation it feels like go any one of a million different ways uh just the best tv utterly harrowing watch the americans god damn it like six seasons it <laughs> uh, fine it genuinely okay. is one i'll of give the it a shows. shot finally yeah i i cannot wait i i have not watched any of the season yet but rob i you know we're gonna have 10 oh, yeah. episodes of of Idle Weekend. <laughs> so amazing. God, I love that show. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rob. I, I will continue to push it higher and higher up on my queue until finally I, I put it on and start watching it. It's just exactly in that that wheelhouse of shows I know I will want to actually pay attention to instead of just have on while I'm doing something else. Um, like the bad animes I watched over <laughs> over my break. So, you know, that's... Code Geass. You save season. any d- girls in a dungeon? I didn't save any girls in a dungeon. You could, Austin uh, believes it's wrong. Figure out if you're sh- sh- oh, what? Cool. Wait, what? Is it wrong to pick up a girl in a dungeon? And I think the answer we just heard from Austin is yes, emphatically. Like lift or like pick up? I think pick like up. pick up, like hit on. Like, what is she doing in the dungeon? I don't know. Is that your line, actually? Yeah, is that, is that Austin's line? What are you doing down in the dungeon? What are you doing in a dungeon like this? Yeah. You want to run with a big dog? in a dungeon like this? Yeah. <laughs> beat me to it. Beat me to it. It was in my head. That he didn't Got say beaten in by your a mouth. big dog. That's different. All right. Let's call it there. I'm Austin Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Where can people find you, Danielle? At Danielle or I. Rob Zachney. Hello, ho. Happy to be here. Oh, my <laughs> fucking God. I commit to the bit. Patrick Klepek. As always, you can uh, find us at twitter.com slash waypoint, facebook.com slash waypoint advice, youtube.com slash waypoint advice, and twitch.tv slash waypoint. You can join the conversation at discourse.zone and shout out to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B O E N. 
That was a weird, I put a weird emphasis on that one there. Uh, as always, if you have questions, gaming at vice.com. And a reminder again, we will be doing our Waypoint 101 on uh, Shadowrun Dragonfall later this week. It'll go up next week, but we'll be recording it probably on Friday. So send in your questions to gaming at vice.com. There's also a great forum thread over on the forums and a great channel uh, discussion uh, in our in our Discord. So much really good discussion. I got to a really good point in that game last night, finally. I, I, I hit one of my favorite missions, and that was really, really, really good. Uh, we'll talk more about that later this week. Um, all right, I think that's going to do it for us. Danielle, what do we say to him? Be good, and be good at it. Peace. God, he clapped. I'm the one who clapped. He did. All right, we'll go again on 35. I can't do this. <laughs> When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.